So let me just read the section in the Bible in which this occurred. If you want to follow in the Bible, there are Bibles in the pews. You're welcome to do that, or you can just listen to my voice reading it. It's John's Gospel, chapter 7. And I'm just going to read a few verses where this happened. It's verse 37 right through to verse 44, just eight verses. And it's page 1072 if you have one of the Bibles in the pews. Listen what happened. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Then John, who wrote this, tells us, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say the Christ will come from David's family? From Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Let me simply focus on three aspects of this offer and leave them with you to think about. First thing I want to say about it is this. This offer is about an insatiable thirst. All of us know what thirst is because all of us are human beings. Even that weird guy, David Blaine, suspended over the River Thames for the last two weeks, planning to stay there for another month without any food, needs drink, liquid, to stay alive. I never really appreciated what thirst was until in 1972 I went to live in India. Right in the middle of India, if you ever look at a map, there's a city there called Nagpur. It's right in the middle of India, it's only got two things it's famous for, oranges and the heat. heat. <clears throat> it's one of the hottest places in the world. The temperature goes over 130 degrees Fahrenheit, whatever that is in centigrade, 48, 49, something like that. Believe me, it is hot. When you come out of your house, if you've got a fan even or an air conditioning, when you just walk in the street, it's like sticking your head in a tumble dryer. What a relief then to get a drink of ice cold water again and again and again. Now Jesus made his offer, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, in a similarly hot climate where everyone knew about real thirst. But more important than the climate was the occasion on which he said this. Did you notice it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus said this. Well, you ask, what feast? Well, Jesus was speaking in Israel, for he grew up as a Jew. And the people of Israel, their lives revolved around feasts or festivals that occurred regularly at different times of year. And in these feasts, they traveled to Jerusalem from the outlying areas, to Jerusalem, the capital city, to the big temple there, to praise God on these special festivals. And the feast that is mentioned here was called the Feast or Festival of Tabernacles or Booths. Why was it called that? Well, because when they had this feast, it celebrated the fact that for 40 years, when they left Egypt, you know the story, you know the story of Pharaoh and uh, the plagues and how they got out of Egypt and eventually went to the Promised Land. Well, they went for 40 years through the wilderness. 
And all during that time, they didn't have any settled place to live. They lived in tents. They were a mobile nomadic people. And so to remember that they used to be like that, every year they went up to Jerusalem and everybody brought their tents. Or they made these booths out of, out of wood and straw and everything. And they lived for a week, for seven days, in these booths or tabernacles. And it was called the Festival of Tabernacles. And they especially celebrated the fact that the Lord their God had brought them through this burning desert and had provided them with food and water. And the Feast of Tabernacles was also a kind of what we'll do next week, although it's not quite so relevant. It, it was a kind of harvest festival where the crops were brought in. And they especially thanked the Lord that he'd provided them all those years with water in the desert. And on the last day of the feast, that was day eight, they had this fantastic procession through the streets of Jerusalem. They went to a pool in Jerusalem, it's called, it called the Pool of Siloam, and the priests were in the front, they were all blowing trumpets like these guys here, and celebrating and dancing down the streets, okay? It's like Charlotte Chapel without the dancing. And <laughs> they got to the Pool of Siloam, and they got a golden flagon, and they filled it with water. And they danced through the streets with this water. I better not do I could pour it in the water down there, actually. But anyway, and when they got to the temple, they poured out the water as an offering to the Lord to celebrate that God provided them with water in the desert. Now, it was on that day, the last and greatest day of the feast, that Jesus stood up and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And his hearers knew, because he explained, he wasn't talking about physical water, H2O. He was talking about spiritual, what he called living water, which symbolized the ultimate thirst that everyone has and the satisfaction that only God can give. Now, all of us not only experience physical thirst, we also know within us, do we not, that there is a deeper thirst within us? Which water or for that matter, whiskey, or money, or family, or property, or anything else can never satisfy. We search for these things that will satisfy us like thirsty travellers in the desert. And there on the horizon beckons the thing that we think is going to be the answer, or the person that's going to be the answer, like an oasis. And when we get there, we discover it's a mirage. There is within us a thirst an insatiable longing which nothing seems to, be sat seems to satisfy. Now, you may be old enough to have proved this. You may be at a certain age, perhaps my age and a bit older perhaps, or maybe even younger, where you've got everything that you thought would satisfy you. You know, you've got the t-shirt, you've got the house, the wife, husband, kids, car, job, two cars, three cars, job, security, everything that life offers. And your life is still empty. There's still within you a thirst that says, I've got it, but I, I've not arrived. There's something more. There must be something more. Or you may be a younger person, and you've just started out, and you've got your mind fixed on that thing that you think is going to satisfy you. And all I can say to you is, when you get there, you'll find, as the rich businessman said, as he tried to, said, I, I spent my life trying to get to the top of the ladder and when I got there I found it was leaning against the wrong building. You'll find it doesn't satisfy. You see, physical water could never ultimately satisfy us. You see, we're not just animals. 
We're spiritual beings made in the image of God, the Bible says. Made by God to know God. And only in knowing God can we find full and real satisfaction the life for which we were made. And when God is at the centre, then all the other things, the legitimate things of life, fall into their proper perspective and place. But without that, they take the wrong place. The Bible calls it idolatry. Putting something in the place of God in your life. And it is this water that Jesus offered and still offers, which alone can quench our insatiable thirst. Jesus describes it as streams of living water flowing out from within a person. It's a kind of graphic picture, isn't it? It's saying, this is not something external, it's something deep within you. A fulfilment that nothing external can ever satisfy. Now this naturally leads to a second implication of Jesus' offer. Not only insatiable thirst, but secondly, an incredible claim. When Jesus made this offer, his hearers knew exactly what he was claiming. Look what it says again. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus said, you know our scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament part of the Bible. I am the fulfilment of everything written there. All that God promised, I have arrived to bring. All these things written centuries before by all sorts of people. And some of his hearers speculated then, in the reading, they said, maybe he's the prophet that Moses, one of their great leaders, promised. Other ones said, maybe he's the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one who will deliver us from our enemies and bring in God's kingdom on earth. Others said, no, 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 it comes from Galilee. Can't be true, because the Messiah is actually going to come from Bethlehem. In fact, if they checked out the fact, they'd have found that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, but he lived in Galilee. They'd just got the facts wrong. Surveys taken show that most people in Britain today are pro-Jesus, though they may be anti-church. In fact, the recent census of the population indicated that I think it was 73% of the population of Britain claimed to be Christians, followers of Jesus. However, very few have taken the trouble to examine what Jesus actually said and claimed. If you ask people, you know, what do you think of Jesus? They say, oh, he was, he was a great man. He was a great teacher. People often say that. And when people say it to me, I say, which bit of his teaching do you think was great? C.S. Lewis, the great classics professor who became a Christian, he described himself as the most reluctant convert in Britain, dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. Because he didn't want to believe that the facts, when he looked at them, were undeniable. He did some radio talks way back in the 1940s, which had a considerable impact in Britain. They're in a little book called Mere Christianity. It's well worth reading. And he, and he talks about this. This is what he says. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make up your mind. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or he's a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, or kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. And the identity of Jesus is one of the most important questions. Who is Jesus? Is he mad? Is he bad? 
Is he God? Now, if nothing else, if you've never thought about this, like Graham said, well, never really examined the facts. If you've never thought about this, can I just simply plead with you to look at the facts, to look at the evidence, to find out if Jesus is who he claimed to be, and if he is, then his offer is one that you shouldn't refuse, or certainly dismiss out of hand. In early October in this church, we run a course called Christianity Explored. It runs for 10 weeks, beginning on the 6th of October. Anyone can come, and you can ask any questions you like. There's no pressure, no high-pressure salesman there, no guys in sharp suits will call around at your house afterwards. Uh, you can just come along and hear what the Christian faith is all about. It's just an opening. People have come, we put adverts in the newspaper, people just turn up who've never been to church in their lives and just look at the facts and examine the facts. If you want to know more, there are leaflets and there are folk in the coffee lounge who'll tell you more about it. Just come along, come to the first one. If you don't like it, you don't have to come again. But it's so important. There are so many people who've just never checked out the facts for themselves. So here's the second important fact about the offer Jesus made. It's an incredible claim which makes us ask, who is Jesus? Notice thirdly and finally, almost finished, the final feature of the offer of Jesus. It's an inclusive invitation. Do you notice that? Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This is not an offer that's limited to only 14 out of 100 households in Morningside. You'll be glad to know because most of you don't live in Morningside, do you? We only live there because it's the man's, okay. You don't have to be of a certain age a certain nationality, a certain kind of disposition for religion. Or be in a particular income bracket to qualify, you know. You won't have got the American Express one, unless you earn more than 40k, whatever it is. No, it's an inclusive invitation to come to Jesus and believe in Jesus. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus made a very similar offer in similar terms to a woman of dubious moral reputation who belonged to the neighbouring nation that the Jews regarded as half-breeds and heretics. And he sat by a well with this woman, and he looked down at the water and he said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman then had to respond to the offer that Jesus made. She had to say, she actually said, give me this water. It's an offer that you have to respond to. So what do you have to do? Well, the first thing Jesus says is, come to me. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. It means finding out who Jesus is. Exploring the facts, as I've just talked about with something like Christianity Explored. Or just buy a Bible, simply. Buy a Bible, read a Gospel, read John. Just read John. Read it with an open mind and say to God, Lord, I want to find out about Jesus. If this is true, then... Speak to me through it. I challenge you to do that. Check out the facts about Jesus. But he also said, you must come to me. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me. You have to commit your life to Jesus. The Bible and Jesus call this commitment faith. The noun faith is the same word as believe in the language in which the Bible was first written in the New Testament in Greek. There's a common idea around that faith means leaving your brains behind. You know, it's a leap in the dark. And you just jump and you don't know what's going to happen. But I want to say, tell you that faith is a word about relationships. Uh, let me try and illustrate. 
Supposing that after the service, you go down to the coffee lounge. Let, let's suppose, this is not a prophecy, it's just a, an illustration, right? Let's suppose you're a young woman. And you're in the lounge drinking a cup of coffee. When this guy comes up to you, someone you've never seen in your life, and he says, I spotted you across the gallery. This is not a prophecy, all right? You know what <laughs> says, I spotted you in church, and I think you're very beautiful. Will you marry me? Now, if she were to say yes, what would you call that? It is not faith. That is stupidity. (laughs) No one would make that kind of commitment without knowing something about the person. And faith, in the Christian sense, is commitment to Jesus who has made himself known. That's why you come to him, to find out about him. What's he like? What does he offer? So if the guy in the coffee lounge comes to you after the service, and again, this is not a prophecy, right? And says, I spotted you in the church and I think you're very beautiful. I'd like to get to know you better. And the young woman might take a look at him and think, no, wait. Well, she might, oh, she might say, <laughs> she might say, he looks a nice guy. Okay, let's go out for coffee. And she meets with him and maybe she likes him and says, he seems a nice enough guy. And so she begins to meet with him and get to know him a little bit. Find out about him, his family, what kind of person he is, how he responds, how he reacts under pressure, what his ambitions in life are, what his goals in life are. Have they got a lot of things in common? And let's suppose then, after knowing each other for a year or 18 months, he then says, one day, falls on bended knee in Starbucks and says, (laughs) maybe not Starbucks, but anyway, (laughs) falls on bended knee and says, will you marry me? then at that point, she's got to exercise faith. Why? Because she'll never know everything about him, but she'll know enough to say yes or no. Now, some of you here, maybe for the first time, and you think this is absolutely crazy, what I'm talking about, and you think, Jesus, God, dear me, what is he talking about? Gracious me. I don't understand that at all. And I'm saying to you, commit your life to Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, you could simply do that. If you're here for the first time, you could commit your life to Jesus, and he would hear and answer your prayer on the basis of what I and hundreds and thousands and millions of people have proven in the past. But for most of us, you want some more information. Who is this Jesus I'm going to commit to? But, and I want to encourage you to do that. But some of you here know all there is. You're like the girl who's been going out with a guy for ten years and you still won't make the leap of faith and say, yes, I commit myself to you. And I simply want to say to you tonight, isn't it time you made a choice? Isn't it time you committed yourself in faith to Jesus? Because as long as you don't, you'll never prove the satisfaction that he offers, the water within you, so that you'll never thirst again, that deep inner satisfaction of being put right with God. And maybe today is your day. Maybe you need to confess it publicly in baptism and say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I want to mark that publicly and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. See, baptism is really just a symbol. It's a bit like, it's a bit like getting married, actually. It's not a perfect analogy. You know, people say, oh, well, we can live together without being committed. We don't need to stand up before some minister and make some vows and all that kind of stuff, you know. When people say it to me, I say, why not? What are you afraid of? Why don't you want to make that commitment? Don't you want the world to know that this is the person for you and you've committed to them for life? Baptism is a bit like that. Saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to stand at my counter and let people know that I belong to him. 
And only then will you prove the satisfaction that Jesus Christ offers. Well, I've nearly finished. Okay, I've said that before, but this is the final bit, all right? Certain offers are advertised ahead of time. Did you notice that this offer of Jesus is advertised ahead of time? Did you notice that? Look what he says. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then there's an explanation, verse 39. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And I want to tell you that the promise has now been fulfilled. The offer is now open. It's now valid. Why? Because Jesus has now been glorified. What does that mean? The word glory describes God in all his character and fullness. And Jesus has now been declared to be God. And the way in which he was declared to be God is, first of all, when he died on the cross. Because he showed God's love. And that God is a God of amazing love who loves people who have turned their backs on him. Most of the people who heard Jesus, you saw at the end of this passage, they were disagreeing about who Jesus was. Some said, yeah, he's this, and some said no. And in the end, they did away with him. They crucified him. But that was all part of God's plan, his rescue plan for our world. One of the things Jesus said significantly when Jesus hung on the cross, one of the things he said was, I am thirsty. He was thirsty so that we might never be thirsty. He, he took our place, the punishment we deserve, so that we might be forgiven. He, his relationship with God was broken for that moment in time so that our relationship with God might be brought together. And what Jesus did on the cross was a complete success and God declared it was a success by raising him from the dead. He was seen publicly by thousands of people before he returned in glory to heaven, what Christians call the ascension, when he ascended into heaven. And from there, he made good his offer. Fulfilling his promise, the Holy Spirit has now been given. God's Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. We read about it earlier when I explained about baptism. On the disciples who were waiting. They were filled with the Spirit. The promise of Jesus is offered that water within them, the Holy Spirit, water is a picture of the Holy Spirit living within us. God's presence within us was poured out. And at the end of that incredible day, the Apostle Peter, at the end of that day, after his fantastic sermon, stood up again, let me remind you, I put the verses before, it's worth reading again. He said, this offer is now for everyone whom God is calling. And he said, what you have to do is repent and be baptized, everyone of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise, the offer. It's for you and your children, for all who are far off, even people in far off Scotland for all whom the Lord our God will call. And I want to tell you the offer, this offer, is still valid. But make sure you don't miss it, for his offer doesn't last forever. And notice what it says, you only respond to his offer when he invites you. Not when you call on him. So if God has been calling you and speaking to you and saying, you need to come to me and find the offer is true. Yes, it's an offer you can't refuse. But in fact... It is an offer you can refuse. That's why I put a question mark at the end of it. An offer you can't refuse? Yes, God will not muscle his way into your life. Grab you by the lapels and throw you into the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to do that with some people sometimes, but it's not God's way. No, God invites us to come. And the promise of Jesus is this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me 
and drink. This is an offer you can't refuse. And I hope you won't refuse it. We're going to sing a song now, and then the baptisms. This is on a sheet if you haven't got a hymn book. If you need a hymn book, you need a yellow sheet. And this one...